listening to Pawnee Public Radio. With your hosts, Hannah and Will. Welcome back to Pawnee Public Radio. Thanks so much for clicking our little image and for listening to our sweet, sweet voices. I'm Will. I'm Hannah. And again, this is Pawnee Public Radio. You found it. We're on episode four. <laughs> yeah, if you were having trouble finding it and it's been like hours of searching, you did it. You got here. You made it. You've arrived. It can be hard. Life is so hard, but listening to this podcast is very easy. So, <laughs> so thank you for choosing us. <laughs> uh, we're, this is episode four of Pawnee Public Radio, and we, we both watched episode four of Parks and Recreation called Boys Club. So you're all invited. This little club is open. All genders. Hop on in. The water's great. The clubhouse is massive, constantly expanding. It's like a wizard tent. (laughs) It's like a wizard tent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like when you do we still make references to Harry Potter or are we should we just take a break for a little bit? Uh, trans rights are human rights. And the mm-hmm. reference was about the tents where they watched the Quidditch match and you mm-hmm. walked in and it looked small for the outside and big in the inside. Yeah. And I wanted people to know that that's how I think about our podcast. <laughs> we seem small. It just seems like a click and then you click on it and it's big. Yeah. Massive. Uh, we hope you're having a lovely Tuesday. Yeah. How's it been so far? What did you eat for breakfast? Little, if you oh. want, we could give them a little bit of a time a to answer. A little bit of a pause. So like, okay, what has yeah. it been? Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, or I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, what if just you just laughed? Option. Someone was like, it's been horrible. And you were like, oh. Ho, ho, ho. Well, I'll, then I get to apologize in the next episode. Over the course of this entire show, for all of the seasons, we'll have one normal length conversation. In these in these short little installments at the beginning of each episode, um, so boys club, let's boys just, club, let's jump right, let's jump into it, into the app. No um, more beating around. Yeah, the I'm bush. in charge of uh, the A story, and like Leslie says, I'm in charge. Be- you're in charge because you're a woman. <laughs> that <laughs> we was such a good line. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So the episode is called Boys Club, and the crux of the A story, that main story, is Leslie trying to break into a literal boys club, which uh, consists of Mark and a bunch of city planning dudes. You know, the real bros of City city Hall. City planner bros, yeah. The city planner. The CPBs. (laughs) CPBs. The classic CPBs. It's a real Um, character trope that they really lean on, I think. Yeah. You know, everyone knows city planning bros. (laughs) City planning bros. They're they're a real bro-y crew, but... You know, Leslie tells Anne she wants to get in with the boys club. Um, But in order to do so, she sort of breaks all her rules. Um, When the episode. She's not being herself, I feel like. No, she's not. Um, You know, when the episode opens, uh, the Parks and Rec Department has received a gift bag 
from uh, Norton Construction, I believe. That's a real specific that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they received this gift basket and Leslie says they can't open it because it's more than $25 and that government officials can't accept things that are more than 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be it would be a bribe. Yeah, be we, get a, we get a great little like Tom bit where he goes, I would never cheat. But sort of like in Miss Congeniality, <laughs> where she like cuts the Starbucks line to get all the FBI agents coffee. Tom is seen cutting the hot dog line to get hot dogs. So we know that Tom is on the other end of this morality spectrum. And we're also pretty sure that this means that Tom is a fan of the movie Miss Congeniality. Go on. Yes, a huge fan. Mm -hmm. So in order to get into the boys club, when they run out of uh, her and Anne go up to the boys and they start hanging out, they start drinking beers, but they run out of beers. So Leslie decides to open the gift basket that she wasn't supposed to open. She breaks the rule. She breaks the rule. A couple of CPBs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the next day. Nobody knows, but she is broken. She's like a broken person for having broken the rules. And so she decides to whistleblow herself. Um, and so she emails everyone in Pawnee, every, including like mayor at Pawnee.com, which is the mayor's email address. Yeah, keep it um, simple. She apologizes. Uh, and she also links them to not the fake they they not a facebook page will and i were trying to figure out what was it called uh they make sort of a facebook profile for the pit but it's yeah, not but a facebook it's page. a generic it's a Let generic me, social i want to know platform. what it's called this is gonna yeah it, it really you know it really took me back to to my neopets days to having limited computer time instead of living my life the, the wasteland of the internet. It's a classic, simple design, half Zanga, half MySpace. One hundred percent. I'm gonna look funny. up right now what it's called. It's called a social network internet profiles. That's what they label this Facebook thing. Uh, so whatever generic thing that is, they have come up with one like for the pit. They have basically mm-hmm. created like a fake Facebook profile for the pit, which Leslie attaches to her apology email. Unfortunately, uh, April, who gets a big episode, has uploaded a video of herself drinking some of the stolen basket wine. Uh, So now not only is this bad because Leslie wasn't supposed to be drinking, you now have an underage intern drinking the wine. It's It's a real pile, real pile on, real heightening of the pickle. In which Leslie. Yes. And, (laughs) you know, one of my two favorite parts of this episode uh, comes next, which is instead of Leslie going immediately to Mark, Leslie goes to is, you know, goes to her boss, Ron, and he tells her that there's going to be a disciplinary meeting. Uh, He had warned her, don't make this worse. And she did. Uh, And she starts to have basically a panic attack. And we see Ron trying to comfort her. She's like panicking on his bench and he's trying to like pat her. It's very sweet. Um, It's it's really like a pat with no contact. There's like sort of like a toxic masculinity force field that prevents him from from showing real (laughs) physical affection. But it is like a very genuinely sweet moment. It's a very sweet. And I think we see like his, his heart in that. Yeah. I mean, my two favorite parts of this A story are that 
Ron and Leslie get their first real episode together. And mm-hmm. this this idea of a boys club isn't just the CPB bros. It's also uh, Leslie walks past the hall uh, or the wall of city hall officials that are all men and describes that as a boys club, which is a great foreshadow spoiler alert to some of the later seasons where she tries to break into that city hall boys club. In a way, um, maybe every episode could be called a boys foreshadow. Club. Oh, <laughs> I thought foreshadow you were going to say boys club. <laughs> every episode is technically a foreshadow because more stuff happens. Anyways, so. Ron and Leslie go to this disciplinary meeting and Leslie has a long pre-written statement about why she drank the stolen wine. And these Which three... foreshadows the next scene, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a foreshadow. Um, but, you know, these three men, which I think is not a uh, by accident, a part of the disciplinary meeting bros, mm. another boys club, yeah. the DPB bros. Still, another huge trope. Another huge obvious one. We all know about disciplinary meeting bros. They they keep asking her questions. And eventually, Ron sort of breaks and says, you know, if you want to try to fire Leslie or ask more questions, you're going to have to go through me. And we have this really sweet moment where he's like, I didn't do it for her. I did it because, you know, America and I hate government and all this stuff. But it's clear that he cares about her on some level, which is real sweet. And that's when the episode a story should have ended. But it doesn't because (laughs) it's season one, not season three. And so we have to have a scene where Leslie and Mark Mark forces her to drink more beer and tells her to chill out, nerd. And then Leslie tells Aeon that it wasn't about the boys club. It was about her crush on Mark, which is the real season one bummer of it all. But the little tag, the little hope for the future is that she's once again in front of uh, the city hall portraits. And she says that she feels like she's started to break into the boys club. That is, I you know, a Will Sondheim level Thank detail, uh, detailed A story. I think Thank there you. are a few. I I appreciate the compliment, but I do think that you skimmed over a few like physical gags that I could have spent five to ten minutes going into I her know. handling I, of the glassware. Uh, so I will now go through all <laughs> ten, yeah, all ten physical gags. Um, will, do you want to tell us about this B story? A baby B. Yes. Baby B, yes. We pick up with Andy Dwyer. Anne is leaving for a double shift at the hospital. The apartment is a mess and it's his fault. He's got two broken legs, but he's nothing but trouble. The apartment is filled with garbage. Anne leaves. We're pretty sure that Andy is just going to continue living in his own filth. But yeah. then we realize he he's kind of it's kind of like a con on her. It's mm-hmm. like a what I like to call a sweet prank. Mm-hmm. Um, in which he's going to surprise her with a really clean apartment. And so the B story is all about Andy hobbling around the apartment, tossing bags of garbage into the pit, a small community growing around other people who toss bags of garbage into the pit, washing himself in a kiddie pool, chasing his neighbor down the street naked, um, ending with him cleaning the apartment, getting a kiss from Anne with the hope of maybe getting gently laid at the end. We get our first real, I believe, naked um, Chris Pratt, which becomes mm. a bit of a theme. 
Yeah. There, there, there will be um, a later episode where he shows up naked and he didn't tell Amy Poehler and uh, Rashida jo- Jones that he would actually be naked. And so their reactions are real reactions to his. Um, I, I, I almost like gave a weird nickname to his penis and was almost like his parks and wreck. <laughs> but that doesn't work. Uh, but you I love his, his parts and wreck. His parts and wreck. Bam. That's that's why we why do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's this why is, we need two. Otherwise, you're just one person talking alone, trying to find yourself. Devil's <laughs> advocating yourself. Endlessly, <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a it's great a very, little bit of naked it's comedy. It's a great B story. And then, you Go know, on. we have our C story, which isn't really a C story, but Donna gets her first lines. Donna gets her line. If the episode wasn't called Boys Club, it should have been called Donna gets Donna her line. Donna gets her line, yeah. Because not only does she get it, she she Nails knocks it. the line out of the out of the park. You know, it's she gets her first sound and then line because Leslie says something to Donna, and at first mm. Donna goes, "Hmm," and that was her first sort of sound. And then she gets a great little bit where she wants the gift basket because she wants to fill the basket with potpourri. And Tom is like, "How much potpourri do you need?" And she's like. A lot. And it's a great Donna bit. And, you know, it's even just Jerry, the mystery we need. Yeah, I think to want to stay to stay with her. Oh, my gosh. And even Jerry gets his first like wah, wah, wah moment where he where Leslie's like, I use the gift basket. And he goes something like you got me in trouble when I called my mom, but she was in the hospital. And it's the first yeah, little yeah, yeah. Jerry. Uh, <laughs> well, and there, feels will, like there a will be more to they kind of, they maybe realize in that moment that he could be a character that's kind of like a sad sack or that yes. like maybe well, bad things can happen to him. Yes. But then they haven't yet figured out that like Leslie doesn't have to care about it. <laughs> exactly. There's a future episode coming up where I feel like they really discover who Jerry's going to be, where they're like playing this game and they keep uncovering things about his past. But we'll mm-hmm. get there. But I feel like this is the seed that will grow into the plant of that mm-hmm. later episode that will go grow into the tree. Oh my god. That will gosh. be Jerry's sad sack. I also, you know, I was, you know, <laughs> I've been trying to watch one episode per recording of our podcast, but I may have binged through to season two by accident. I was it's watching addictive. it and suddenly I was you deep into stop. season two. <laughs> um yeah. So this is what did you think of this episode? Did you like it? Did you feel better or I, worse about it? Then, first of all, thank you for asking. Yeah. Um, oh, audience member, what did you think of it? I I agree, but yeah, it's also so a little more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to make it more complicated. I love this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anything that starts with like, I think I just I do love a good poop joke. Um, and it's done so gracefully and artfully at the beginning of the episode. And like you said, I think it finds so many of the, like we see so much of the heart of the show. And I think the Leslie Ron dynamic. That's what it is. Through the episode, like makes it for me. Well, that's why, um, I mean, my la- the last episode we had, um, the reporter. And if you haven't listened to our podcast on that, go listen now before we continue. We'll wait. We'll be right here. Um, five. Four, three. Um, I feel like I was really angry throughout that episode mm-hmm. because I kept saying to Ron, to Ron, I kept saying to Will, Freudian slip, I kept saying to Will, 
I, was I like, am trying to grow a mustache, I think. And we, we have a little Zoom thing going on. And maybe it doesn't show up at all. It's very new. I just it, want the listeners to picture to picture me with it. To picture a new mustache. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, w- I kept saying to you, Ron and Leslie are the heart of the show. I hate that throughout throughout the episode, the reporter, when Leslie is struggling and when she is failing, she goes to Mark and Mark just makes it worse and worse. You know, he mm. sleeps with Shauna Molly t- Tweep. He tells her she's being a dork, like all these things. But in this episode, while Mark is still there, like I said in my A story recap, he really takes back seat, the back seat to Ron stepping up and teaming mm. up with Leslie. So we get to see, you know, the er- their early dynamic. And while it might not be as snappy as maybe their later back and forth things yeah. are it, it really is the beginning and it's fun to watch like it just him comforting her while she has a panic attack and then being inspired to help her it, yeah. it's the heart of the show yeah i think there's the impulse as a i definitely recognize this impulse in myself as a writer to like to create on paper a romantic relationship in like early on in a show or in something that I'm working on Mm -hmm. because that that feels like such a like intuitive way to have the heart of the show um but but it also as in real life that feels like something that you discover and find through writing and through like making the show and it's interesting in this episode it feels like almost in a surprising way that Ron is a better like yin to Leslie's yang and actually balancing her out and yeah, well, Tina like Fey one, in one interview was like, stop asking if Liz Lemon and Jack Donahue, Donahue, I, we're back to Jack <laughs> and Liz. If Tina, if if Liz Lemon and uh, Alec Baldwin would ever <laughs> get together. And she's yeah. like, absolutely not. This is not about that sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, in a way later season, uh, one of Ron's romantic interests ends up more threatened by Leslie than his ex-wife. And it's because they fall in love in this platonic way. Yeah, And this is sort of, you know, there's been history before this, obviously. It's not like we see them day one and it's like, hi, I'm Ron, I'm Leslie. But, Mm. you know, we're starting to watch them fall for each other. And that little smile that Nick Offerman does when Leslie, when he gets Leslie off, that and then he sees the camera and catches himself and stops smiling. Yeah. But it's just well, so sweet. It's like, yeah, they love each other. And that's the heart of this episode. And yeah. I feel like every every episode we make at least one pretty excellent garden metaphor. And I know you've already made one of talking about, you know, planting and watching it grow into a tree. But okay. I feel like I feel like Leslie and Ron's relationship is like a tree that you see that has grown up in the middle of a sidewalk where it's sort of like their relationship Mm -hmm. was a little seed in a crack between like two pieces of cement. And yeah. And just like growing you in the watching the show, you see it grow organically. um, And it, I think it makes it that much sweeter because there's sort of this thing where like on paper, they shouldn't be friends, but the more time you spend with them and like the more time you spend with Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, there's this feeling of like, They've got yeah, they're they're like unlikely soulmates. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I definitely 
Yeah, I love that. I definitely feel like the t- the two best parts of this episode, in the at least in the main story, and we'll get to the we'll, we'll dive into Andy. But I think my two favorite things are um, Ron and and Leslie beginning their. I love that tree planting in the middle of cement, and then you know people get so weird around their word feminist, but the sort of feminist undercurrent of the show mm-hmm. where. You know, Leslie starts um, and they make fun of her a little bit. You know, they have that intercut where he's actually just talking about his shirt in the boys club. Although if you listen closely, there's a later soundbite where he is talking about red tape and parks in the boys club. But, you know, it's this this undercurrent of what it takes to be a female in government and how Leslie's optimism is going to break down barriers and i love that part where she's apologizing to every female politician in alphabetical order she starts with michelle bachman b she does republicans and democrats but you know that combined with that image of all the dudes in city hall and when i think about like what's to come yeah you know this is the very early seeds of of that and like the show discovering yeah, what a flawed female protagonist can reach. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I also think it speaks so highly of all of the the writers for the show and sort of the like the philosophy from which they're writing or, or their their worldview, I guess. Um, in that the like it, it's sort of a a joke in her apology, right, where she's apologizing to every single female politician. But there's also the reality behind that where it's like, if you're a, a woman who holds, you know, public office and you make one little mistake, it's like you're holding, you're responsible for every, like, Well, this is what I like. I feel yeah. like the show doesn't take itself or the idea of a boys club too seriously. Like they keep undercutting it with, you know, she spills the beers and then she has that great joke about like, Oh, look, I've broken the glass ceiling and, um, uh, you know, I've, uh, yeah. that, you know, the whole they're cleaning up or, or, you know, her whole speech comes off as really silly in the disciplinary committee when she's like, I drank the beers to break into the boys club. So I like that. And I think it's OK if we make jokes about things we're passionate about. But I also think her philosophy, as many times as they undercut it is the philosophy of the show. And so yeah, like you yeah. can't take that away no matter how many jokes they make about it. I don't love the mark of it all, but I understand <laughs> it. It like humanizes her that she's like I took out the wine because I had a crush. Well, you can claim that, but also you had that whole thing where you said all of these men, all these city council men, I have to walk by their photos every day. I want to be a part of the boys club. It wasn't just about a crush on Mark. No matter how many times they tried to make the make the mm. heady heaviness. Oh yeah, it's a boys' club. Uh, it's actually about Mark, who I slept with in February of two thousand and four. I, I think they accidentally, not accidentally, but I think they revealed no. Like we're gonna we're yeah. gonna go big here, and yeah, I, you know, people hate on season one so much, but I feel like what I'm discovering in this rewatch is that season one gets good so fast. Like there yeah. are seeds yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it starts to grow. Yeah, um, I, 
I feel guilt. I'd like, I mean, in a very Leslie Nopian fashion, feel like I should apologize to season one. To season one and all the people that at some point in my life I've been like, actually, you know, you can just start with season two. Like, I feel like that. That's no, like I don't advice think you should start for I, season two. Yeah, but I and I, I was, yeah, I, <laughs> I was having my convers my conversation. I was having a conversation with my parents about the show Fleabag, and they were saying that they like watched the first two episodes and didn't want to keep didn't want to finish it because they were like this seems this seems my so sad looks just and dark. like phoebe waller bridge that's what oh. i know about fleabag yeah <laughs> uh i Lisa won't i won't Timmons. do a rewatch or <laughs> first name last name <laughs> um i won't do i won't do a full recap but i think it is that feeling of like um watching like sitting down to watch a full show is an undertaking, especially now when there are a zillion things that you could be watching. And I should watch um, Fleabag to be clear. I know this. We'll do that next. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I think Parks and Rec is like from season one is something that you can like trust in, you know, and that it like takes care of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't yeah. love the idea of I like, I don't like when someone's like, Oh, just, you have to get through the first two seasons. It's, it's going to be work, but then it gets good. And it's like, no, I want TV to just, I want to want to do it like or else I'm yeah. just spending hours. But I'm just yeah, I just think that I'm discovering that it, it just there. There are so many good parts so quickly and mm-hmm. there are bummers, too. And we'll get into that. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah but- I think like and I also think like and with the Andy and and storyline, um, I just think it's a classic case of these two people aren't good together. But we're starting to see they're both good people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the show is humanizing them so that we... It feels like in the beginning, Andy is kind of just like a douche. <laughs> but then in this episode, we see him like trying to be better and still kind of failing in a lot of ways, I think. like I wouldn't even give him that label. I think what it is, is he's sort of a puppy dog. Mm. And... Yeah, at first, we're just seeing we're like, just why a, is a giant Anne, boy? <laughs> yeah. Why is Anne with this giant boy? I don't know that I would label him even douche. But then we see what the sweet side of the puppy dog is. Mm. And not to look ahead. But again, I recently started binging through it. Stop bragging about that. <laughs> uh, um, Something I realize is because Andy coming up, you know, in the next kind of rest of the season and kind of like beginning of the rest of the season, beginning of season two has some bad behavior. And I was trying to figure out, and it ties into this episode, like why doesn't Andy's bad behavior bother me the way Tom's bad behavior and Mark's bad behavior do. Mm-hmm. And I think what it is, is there's this puppy dogness to it, or even when he's behaving so badly and I, I get a little bit of spoil, but like, even when he's like living in the pit and like stalking in, it's not to like, try to sleep with her like it would be for Tom or Mark. It's like he's just a puppy dog and puppy dogs love really hard and they mess up all the time, but they just love you. And I think in this episode, we get to see the other side of the puppy dog. I think it has to do a little bit with self-awareness too, where it's like one of the things that maybe makes Mark and Tom some of their like problematic scenes hard to watch is that they're like, 
they should know better. There's sort of that feeling a little bit, you know, just being like, you know what you're doing, you know, or or it's like, oh, you're playing the game. Like you're, you know, you're, yeah, you're like trying to seduce this person, right? Or you're trying to like take advantage of this system or something. And Andy is just, yeah, in a very puppy dog way, like oblivious, Mm -hmm. which, which leads to, yeah, a little more, a little more wiggle room. Um, What'd you think of the state of his apartment? What? Do you have any thoughts on like how messy the apartment is? Maybe what you would clean first. <laughs> I thought this was just a diss because we're on Zoom and I haven't made my bed. I told you I wasn't going to bring it up. But now that you have, I will describe it for our dear no. listeners. <laughs> um, I mean, I think just the physical comedy, like you said, we should go into every physical comedy bit of someone trying to clean up an apartment while wearing mm. two casts. It's pretty darn funny. Yeah. And Chris Pratt, who didn't start as a series regular, is winning over the writers and the showrunners and everyone. I guess the showrunners are the the, the author writers of the show. But like he's I feel like I can see I always wonder, like, okay, this person didn't, you know, tells does all these interviews about how he was only supposed to be on for one or two episodes. Mm -hmm. Well, how does that happen? Well, you can see it on camera. He's just he gives like a thousand percent. It's yeah, so it's, fun. I think Donna does this too. Yeah. Just with, with her potpourri moment, bit. with her potpourri bit of just like making, making every fun choice. Retta is a, I believe a stand-up comedian. Um, she's funny. She's really funny. Even her, mm, her one, her one bit. Yeah. I just love, like I said, like if two characters fall in love on the show, mm-hmm. they let them test their chemistry first. If one character is just supposed to be there for an episode, but wins people over, I like to watch as it happens. And that's the magic of season one. You're sort of watching Chris Pratt and Retta and all these people that weren't starting as main people win everybody over. It, it does seem, I mean, you remember when I was describing the B line um that on again on paper it's just sort of like andy cleans the apartment and it does feel like there's an element of trust to to make that that fun a to watch story and yeah. funny yeah i'm just like it's it has yeah it's this beautiful little arc to it i, I want to keep asking each other questions um mm-hmm. but i want to do a sort of unkosher thing for this episode. And I want to start our town hall a little early and let that lead the discussion because we got so many great town hall questions. Um, and Will, we can still ask each other questions, but I, I sort of want to invite the people in. How do you feel about that, Will? I feel great. I'll get the door. All right. I'll get the welcome mat. <laughs> we should have um, We should have put the welcome mat out. So our first town hall is actually a Twitter town hall question, because remember, you can tweet at us at Radio Pawnee. Um, And I know this town hall is like a wee bit early, but I just I want to get into this public forum for this episode because there's so many great things at Radio Pawnee. This is from Benjamin. His Twitter handle is at Ben Walks Away. In season one, episode four, that's the one we just watched. Mm -hmm. Tom has a fake deposition with Leslie and asks if she had sexual dreams about Ron. Have you, and this is, yes, he's trying to, uh, Tom was trying to prepare Leslie for her uh, disciplinary Mm -hmm. hearing. 
But was uh, he? <laughs> he was messing with her. <laughs> uh, so Benjamin asks, have you had embarrassing dreams about a coworker? Well. It's a very right. intrusive question, I realize. <laughs> <laughs> Will? Intrusive First dreams. and last names are necessary for this. Just kidding. Necessary. I think yes, is necessary. Um, can you tell that I'm nervous? That I'm nervous that my coworker will listen to my dream? The short answer is yes, absolutely. Guilty oh, as charged. Oh, wow. I think what job? What was their home address and first and last name? <laughs> In that order. Yes. I, it's more what happens to me a lot is I'll have a dream um about I'll I'll have like I won't remember the details of the dream necessarily, but I'll just remember like the energy of it. And then when I'm at work and I'm with my coworker, I'll I'll like the details will start flooding back to me. And it'll mm. be that I feel like that very I I hope relatable feeling of of realizing that you've been like walking around with the energy from the dream all day without mm. coming to terms with the fact that it wasn't real. So I'll like wake up and I'll be, I'll just feel like guilty. You know, so I'll think, I must if you're Will's wrong. coworker and you've wondered why he has weird energy sometimes. Yeah. It's around not you. you. It's, it's my it's dreams. Not you, it's his dreams. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember like dreams, but I definitely think when it comes to jobs that have really, not even bad jobs, but jobs where you're at the bottom of the food chain, it's mm -hmm. definitely more fun when you have fantasies. I was going to say romantic interests or crushes, not oh, fantasies. Spice it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, when you look at a coworker and just go straight to fantasy head. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, yeah, I just, I did a lot of like production assistant jobs where it's You're just like, a lot I'm going to have a crush. You're like, a I'm crush ready. will make this bearable. I'll bring yeah. a crush. Well, because it's just yeah. a lot of like 12 hour days running around doing very menial tasks or driving people around and it's mm -hmm. just more fun with a crush yeah um i'm remembering someone specific but unlike me usually i don't remember his first or last name i think that's okay hannah i think lean into I think, that i don't think i have to yeah i felt <laughs> really bad last time yeah. um a quick a quick apology to my best friend from like sixth grade elizabeth i said her first and last name and when i talked about how many times i beat her at monopoly Elizabeth is the smartest, coolest person, and it wasn't about her being good or bad. It was just she didn't know that when we came to the trading portion of the game, I got more aggressive. It's not even that she didn't know something. It's I was very aggressive in trading my properties. And also, actually, it was she learned. She didn't know at first. If you, land, apology, if you land on a, a Monopoly property, you should always buy it early in the game. Even okay, if you go into debt. This feels more like advice. This because, is starting to feel like advice for anyone no, who wants to play Monopoly thing. against you. If you're playing Monopoly, yeah. don't wait to buy stuff because if you get an early Monopoly, you can crush it. So it wasn't about her. What I'm saying, it was like a very specific Monopoly related skill. Mm. And I'm sorry. This is the worst <laughs> apology. This is the most Leslie or Rod. I'm not sorry that I beat her. I'm sorry <laughs> that I said her first and last name. You know, she walked into the SATs taking only one practice test and got a 2400. So she's better than all of us. <laughs> what, a, what a journey. <sighs> what, a, what a wonderful. So, yeah. <laughs> Does that so, answer the question? I the hope that does. Question. Benjamin, thank you so much for tweeting at us. Again, that's at Radio Pawnee. 
Um, I want to get into some of these voicemails. Um, and I, I, I know if you're listening and you're like, this is so early for town hall. I just, I really, we got so many great ones. I wanted everyone to get to be a part of the conversation as early as possible. All right. So let's get to some of these voicemails. Remember, uh, you can send us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash Pawnee Public Radio. I've linked it on our Twitter, on my own Instagram, Hannah Lil Nesson. We love getting voicemails. Our first voicemail today is from Tara from Albany at Tara Teeth. Uh, let's hear what Tara has to say. Tara, thanks for calling in. Hi, Hannah and Will. Tara from Albany here. I was just wondering, have either of you ever been on the outskirts of a boys club? And how did you deal with it? Thanks. Thank you, Tara, for calling in. Uh, this episode is all about the boys club. And of course, it's going to make people think about the boys clubs that have existed in their life. I had this improv teacher, Rachel Mason, in me back with my first and last names. Uh, back in Chicago, be like, you know, women in improv scenes are a lot of times labeled as, um, you know, like girlfriends or sluts or whatever. Or moms. Uh, a lot of mom, mom labels. Whatever, you know, whatever your labels. And she's like, instead of, you know, backing down from that, you know, own it and just be so much funnier and just like punch harder. Like I mm. was in this improv scene once where it was a bunch of dudes and we were in a band and I thought I was a dude in a band. I even sort of like lowered my voice as like a bro in a band. And then they called me out as the fan girl. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a bunch of guys <laughs> and just me. And I remember, but instead of like backing down, I just got all the laughs. So I broke into that boys club of comedy stuff by being funnier than all the dudes in my improv classes. <laughs> it's a great strategy. And of course, like any other two that isn't sort of like a white guy in a flannel shirt, then you feel mm -hmm. that those restrictions in improv classes. And so I have a lot of privilege when I walk into the class in many ways. Um, but yeah, I dealt with a lot of male heavy improv teams and classes. Uh, so that's the first one that comes to my head. Yeah, I think... I often am a white guy in a flannel shirt. And one thing that I have, and, and I'm also someone who has like a certain degree of anxiety. And so what's interesting is that I can both feel on the, on the outside of like a group while also I think recognizing that like, part of my like white male privilege comes that I can by default be included. You know, well, I and think the other thing is like we're, when you talk about something like a boys club, I'm not yeah. we're not talking about necessarily. Yes, there are tons of guys and girls that feel anxious or excluded and mm -hmm. you have every right to feel that way. What it is, is when I walked onto that team, I felt a pressure to represent my entire gender because it was a boys club and I was breaking in. So right. even if some of the other guys on the team or in the class felt anxious, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that I'm being called out because this club, because, because I am not of the gender. I'm not a dude. And this, this room is filled with dudes. And yeah. I mean, I, I think of one example and then it just like snowballs into a bazillion examples. Um, but you know, there's a whole move, there's a whole movement within the survivor community for production to be more diverse. 
uh, not just gender, but like racially diverse. Again, there's inter- intersectionality to this where at no point in like comedy did I feel like I had to represent my race as a white person. That was just a privilege that I had. But in terms of Survivor, like, yes, there was uh, a few female producers, but for the most part, I was surrounded by men, um, not just on the cast for people who know my season, but behind the scenes, you're just surrounded by guys. And when they're the ones producing the stories and asking the questions, it does become another level of boys club ness. And I think to your point that it like it in speaking towards intersect intersectionality, this idea that it like colors everything and like mm-hmm. touches everything. And it, and it, I mean, it reminds me of the scene in, in this episode where it's like the you know the tension is this is like what leslie calls a boys club with they're just like drinking on tuesdays but that's like uh a symptom of the systemic problem of like government in pawnee and government in indiana and government in the united like the wall of bases yeah well then she also hits like the faux boys club are the um, city planning bros. Mm-hmm. But then she hits the actual boys club, which is the disciplinary committee. The DMBs. The yeah. DNB bros. <laughs> <laughs> I love all these acronyms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like you, the, the city planners are sort of the joke. You know, it keeps getting undercut. She goes, I want to join the boys club. Oh, my wife thinks this shirt. They're kind of silly. But mm-hmm. then she almost gets fired because of the actual boys club of the disciplinary committee treating her so extremely until Ron, a guy Mm -hmm. steps in and is like, you have to go through me bros. So, and we'll see this time and time again, the double standard and yeah, it's just uh, Tara. I really appreciate you calling in. I, I, this comedy podcast took a serious turn for (laughs) a second, but let me know what you think. You know, I, yeah, while I do think lots of nuance of these conversations are lost on the internet, um, I still think it's important to have these conversations. Like if you're a guy and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't understand. I, you know, I feel excluded. We all feel excluded. You know, let's um, have a conversation about the differences between feeling anxious and excluded versus. um societal sexism, societal racism, things that are ex- excluding groups of people on a broader systematic level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think What do you think? <laughs> I I think that's like kind of spot on and I also think me breaking it down into just like anxiety and exclusion uh as like my jumping off point is sort of points towards um, the like the ways in which I, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about like how silence is violence right and and mm-hmm. that way of how like in thinking about the boys club or in thinking about like you know the patriarchy or like manifestations of misogyny it's this thing where like I think a little bit what I was trying to name in my relation to like, oh, yeah. times when I felt left out is it, it's so easy for me to be reductive because my identity is supported in mainstream culture is like as the dominant 
identity in a lot of ways, I think. So that I, um, it's, it's always easier not to think about something. And if I didn't think about it, I wouldn't see boys clubs, you know, or it's sort of just like I would, if I don't think about it, I am a part of the problem, that kind of thing. Um, so I feel like I'm, I feel like it's kind of my job to be always working on thinking about it more and thinking about it more deeply and like listening and, and having the default for when someone tells me like, no, this is a boys club to, to recognize from my position, the response is like, okay, you're right. (laughs) Because I'm like, if I don't think about it, I'm, I am like by default in the club, you know, Um, which is like an interesting position to be in. And I think is also the position that Ron is in of like, you can use that, you know, like you can use that to make someone's life better and to include them. Yeah. I wonder in what the, the long, ba- or yeah, oh. go ahead. No, I just wonder what the balance is in all these conversations. And I don't have the answer to this mm-hmm. between trying to relate versus just like listening, like silence is violence. I guess the, the question that I don't have the answer to, and I'm curious what the listeners think is, when someone's identity is part of the reason they're being discriminated against, what is the balance between listening and shutting up and listening and really taking it in and trying to relate to it and speaking up? Like, I don't know. I don't. And I didn't Mm. mean in any way, Will, to shut you down when you talk about anxiety and exclusion. I just like, like for me, I just had have had a number of experiences that are specifically related to being one of a few females or Mm. uh, what it's like. Yeah. Like I said, to be a female opening a textbook and all the people we study are dudes like, but, but I appreciate that you are trying to connect to that feeling. And so what is the balance when we have these conversations? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think an important part of it is is having it be a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, is that having it be a dialogue and a back and forth and also recognizing that it's not a playbook, that it's actually something that will evolve and change. And there isn't one right way. You know, there's not like, here's the way that you have the conversation. It's about constantly adapting, I think, to let, to let the, the person who's maybe being, um, you know, excluded or disenfranchised, like be as, be as human as possible (laughs) and just to keep listening to them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember at Northwestern, there was a panel of TV writers and the moderator, there was, it was all dudes and one woman. And the moderator asked the panel that he was like something about, you know, what's it like being a female television writer at the time? There were very few female showrunners. I think maybe one or two shows showrunners, the head of a show. Mm-hmm. And he jokingly said, how about the men answer first? He joke. He was joking. But then what happened is the men started answering. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, when we were talking about this off mic, you know, I was very I think part of the reason I was direct with you when you, I was like, I got it. Let me take the lead on this one is because I remember this panel. I'm realizing yeah. now because I think you, you know, you did speak up first and I was like, hold on. Well, let me start. And then like, I want to hear what you have to say in response. Mm. 
But so the men started answering and they were like, well, if you're a funny female, you'll definitely be staff because there are so few females that go through the system. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there thinking, I want to hear from the woman because how you're allowed to be funny as a female comedy writer has got to be so specific. You can't be too out there as a female because the rules are different of how you're rude or funny or what. And I wanted to hear from her so badly. And all the dudes started answering. And it's just like, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's letting the person with the perspective that you are trying to understand start. And then is it about who begins the conversation? I mean, what is it? I don't have these answers. I might be wrong. Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'll admit to feeling like apprehensive about talking about this on a podcast because I feel like part of my, you know, I kind of have this feeling like, well, I'm not an expert. Like, I think that I'm not either. I know. No, totally. But I, but I think there's something to be said about, um, pushing ourselves and pushing like our friends and our family to, to try to say and articulate things that we're not used to saying and articulating. Um, and instead of, instead of, feeling like we need to learn our lines before we can say them. I assume what, what Tara called it. She's like, have you ever experienced a boys club? She expected <laughs> us each to give like a silly answer about like, well, my boys club was this in it's preschool. Like, the United States. <laughs> <laughs> this is what uh, a real town hall feels like. I think is that. Who knows? Who knows where it will lead? Um, but yeah, I really, really quickly too, just to say like the thing that I love about both this show and this podcast of like talking about a show is like, I just deeply believe that uh, like a comedy can open up so many doors for conversation. Like, I just think that like, this is one of the things that I really love about this, this show in particular is that it, I think it does spark these sorts of conversations and i think that's as much a part of my experience of watching it as like making goofs about it yeah i think when we watch tv it's it's why we want this we want this podcast to sort of feel like we're watching a tv show together and so sometimes that experience of watching a show with friends leads to fun goofs and jokes and sometimes it it will lead to Bigger conversations that, again, we're not the experts on. I'm not pretending to be an expert on societal sexism. Mm. I hope you guys enjoyed the answer uh, to Tara from Albany. Tara's just sitting in Albany being like, oh, no, I've changed the whole tone of the podcast. Uh, let's let's should we do another quite another voicemail? Yeah. So we do, uh, well, we go, I see Benjamin on here and we got a tweet from Benjamin. So this is either the same Benjamin or we've got two Benjamins, sort of like our double Connor situation. I always like to go double Ben. Double Ben. Hey, Pawnee Public Radio. Uh, my name is Benjamin and I am call, or, uh, leaving my message here for you. And one of the things that stood out to me in this episode that I loved was seeing Andy who comes off in the beginning as a total slacker, and then he pulls it together for Anne, cleaning up her place uh, for her, which is uh, starts to endear you to Andy. Uh, my question for you 
is we see, oh, another thing that stood out to me in this episode was Tom, how when the gift basket comes, he's really interested in the cheese, which reminds me of a later episode where he is dating Anne, spoiler, uh, and he has a cheese platter that he keeps in his apartment uh, at all times, fresh and ready to go. So I just like that in season four callback to that cheese thing. So my question for you is you see Tom in here using his position of privilege to cut in line in the hot dog stand and get a hot dog before our little kids. And I'm wondering what experiences have you had where people have used their privilege to their advantage and kind of went against maybe a moral code that you thought they had? Thank you so much. These questions are going to lead us down such deep, dark paths. <laughs> I We did not plan the order of that, but that's very funny. Also, I'm so sorry for anyone massively spoiled. Try to forget what you heard about season mm-hmm. four. Maybe we'll censor. Maybe we won't. Yeah. Only time can judge us. Also, if you're hearing this and we've censored him, you're welcome. You're welcome. Will. Someone the question, abusing... I believe, their, pa- mm. their privilege... And breaking moral codes. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like the last couple of years I've maybe seen a couple examples of that. Um, just on like a, like a federal level. <laughs> um, this is very different than the serious terror <laughs> question or calling out federal officials and how the world is burning. But yeah. there was this girl in high school who used to tell me that (laughs) I don't remember her first or last name, but that she would like get free stuff all the time because she was hot. She was just go into iTunes and be, and like flirt with the Apple guy. And she got a free iPod once. That's, that's a less serious. That's much better. Yeah. But hot privilege exists. Yeah. You and your, once your mustache comes in, you'll learn about it. I, I mean, that's why it's really a social experiment to see <laughs> to see what sort of, sort of you know, social norms so I can So on both ends of the spectrum, <laughs> Benjamin, to answer your, que- yeah. your question, Will went with federal... The president of the United president States. president of the United States. <laughs> and I went with a hot girl I knew back in high school. Yeah, both... Equally bad. Equally bad. <laughs> I think both have done horrible things. Uh, yeah. I hope we answered your question well. Uh, next up, we have Emily Harrell. Hi, guys. Um, this is really cool. I hope I'm doing it right. This is uh, Will's friend, Emily. And I we had talked uh, a couple weeks ago after I watched your guys' like Instagram live um, about Andy Dwyer and his evolution as a character. So I'm not sure where you are in your rewatching process, but I would definitely be interested in your hot takes on season one Andy versus like season three Andy, because I think they're very different um, characters. And he's like, in my personal opinion, much more lovable, much more affable and much less of a like shitty boyfriend (laughs) um, with, unredeemable traits uh by season three than he was as an introductory character kind of like how michael scott um season one michael scott is pretty unlikable even though it's steve carell and he makes him likable so anyway just curious about that and also what you think of chris pratt's glow up 
from like Andy Dwyer, Chris Pratt to Guardians of the Galaxy left his longtime wife who he then out famous and is now with some new younger wife. I'm just curious about all your thoughts. And um I think you guys are off. Oh, cut off. I think you're <laughs> up. So this is your friend. So she has some opinions on Chris Pratt and Katherine Schwarzenegger, his new wife. Right off yeah. the bat. That's what I'd like to say. She Silence. is she has some opinions. Uh but this is your friend, so why don't you start? Yeah, I Emily, it's so good to hear your voice. Thank you for calling in. First of all, how do you know Emily? I had the privilege of coaching an improv team that she mm. was on for a few years. A joy and a delight. Um, lots of improv team talk this time. Lots of me with my lots of improv talk <laughs> with my seven guys, two of us women. I forgot to say three of the the dudes on my improv team were all named Steven. That's confusing. Any last names? No, no. not this time. <laughs> uh, yes. One one hundred percent about Andy. Um, I although I think there's something about it's like a reverse. Uh, I was gonna say reverse time travel, but I don't think that's what it is. There's something uh, in the way even you phrase the question, where like we're looking back, we're all looking back at Andy in these early episodes, and so I do find that I love him more knowing who he'll Become. like become and grow into and it kind of it's that feeling of like when i have if i have like a childhood friend (laughs) who maybe like grows up into kind of an asshole but i like knew them when they were a kid i'll always kind of love it feels like the reverse version of that or it's like he's not great (laughs) in this moment um but i i do think you caught us at an interesting episode because we we see the desire for change, even though he executes it like very imperfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see that he, I think, recognizes how much Anne does for him. Um, yeah, and I, think I that's mean, crucial. I, I, you know, I feel what you're saying about redeemable qualities. I think, yeah, I wonder if we're looking at him through rose colored future glasses because we know the kind of you know, love interest he'll become and all the sweet things that he does in the future, we sort of see through the lens, like you said, of we see it through that lens. Um, With that said, this was a good Andy episode. I think you're right. He tries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he only chases one person down the street naked. Naked, yeah. It's an improvement. (laughs) I mean, I think that Andy, I go back to the puppy dog metaphor where... You know, at first, he's just making a mess, peeing on the house, (laughs) shitting under the couch. But then we know he's- These are in the bonus features, right? That have been, all those scenes have been taken out. (laughs) Yeah, all those deleted scenes where he shits under the couch. No, but then we see, because we understand he's a puppy, we know that he's also going to learn to roll over. And he's- He's a puppy dog and puppy dogs are great. Nice. And when he loves, he loves unconditionally and fully. And we know all those qualities. So when he's being a puppy dog, we sort of accept that. I also think not to go also back to something said earlier, but it's possible that him and Anne together bring out the worst in each other. Because I think 
Andy is sort of criticized in this relationship, as he should be. But I don't think Anne is her best version of herself in this relationship either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it makes me think a lot of, of like, you know, we never get that flashback episode of how they met. <laughs> but there's something of like, they've sort of like frozen each other in time in a way. And, are, and it's an unhealthy relationship for both of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I agree. I there's mean, I also, think... Oh. Or no, no, go ahead. No, I just think that like Anne... Anne has this beautiful story arc on the show of who am I without whatever my love and whoever my love interest is. And I think we see her sort of not be herself in moments where she wants to say something. I just think it's a bad dynamic for both of them. I think it's also interesting, Emily, that you you ask about Andy and you ask about Chris, Chris Pratt, Pratt in the question. Well, the Chris think- Pratt stuff is scandalous. <laughs> Let's get to that. Yeah. Well, I I mean, there's something too where like, Hannah, your point about him being a puppy dog, I don't think flies in the real world. You know what I mean? Where it's like, like describing someone as a puppy dog, to my mind, that like, isn't an excuse, but it's an excuse because we know he has this arc in the world of the show. Where like in the real world, if I'm someone is like calling him a literal puppy dog, I'm I saying that his spirit. <laughs> Well, I know. I'm just saying that his spirit, I don't think it doesn't fly in the real world. I think like if someone has the spirit of a puppy dog where they're really excited and they mess up big, but they love really hard. It's more I I don't think it's like we can only describe him as a puppy dog because like we know where he's going to end up. I mean, spoiler alert without it being a spoiler alert. In later seasons, people describe the way he falls in love with his future potential love interest as a puppy dog falling in love with a cat. Like, I've heard hmm. that. Um, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I don't think it's just because we know where he ends up. I think this episode especially shows, like, he's a puppy dog in the way, not just because of where he ends up and how good he becomes, it's because, like, he wants to clean the house. So he, like, hobbles around trying to clean the house with his two broken legs. Like, wait, what do you mean that in the real world this wouldn't fly? Maybe I'm not understanding. I think I I just mean like people say like the TV version of something where it's like the sort of like the reality of that messy apartment versus like just seeing it on TV or him being. Uh, I, I think maybe what I mean is I think <laughs> this goes back to sort of like what we were talking about earlier, where I think there's a certain version of like toxic masculinity, like, you know. Uh, stuck as like a boy behavior that can like hide behind being a puppy but dog. See, I disagree. Like I don't find I find that his puppy dogness. I think his behavior gets worse. Uh, I think in the beginning of season two, especially we'll get there. Mm. But for me, it never scares me in the way or makes me uncomfortable. I guess scare is an extreme way. It doesn't make me uncomfortable in the way like Tom or Mark does. And I think mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel like I need to be a man, it just feels like I love you so much. I'm going to be with you like but like not in a it, it almost like doesn't even feel sexual, even the even though the end of this episode does have some sex jokes. It just mm-hmm. feels like I love you. So I'm going to keep trying like it doesn't feel like it has to do with masculinity to me. Yeah. No, that, that's a that's a good point. I think I mean, like, in the world outside of the show, if I encountered a person like him, 
it would maybe be like a red flag <laughs> in, in a way where like it is less so in the show. That's more what I mean, I think. I, we can agree to disagree, but what we can agree on is that your friend Emily has a lot of opinions on Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. True, 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 true. Um, in f- she asked what we think about his glow up. Um, my celebrity crush as a high schooler was John Krasinski, pre-John Krasinski glow up. Um, I think that uh, the glow up is great, but it didn't. I just you like the actor either way. I love how in the show they justify his glow up which is just he suddenly has abs, you know, a different character who we haven't met yet asks him, uh, what? Like, you look so good. And he goes, oh, I just stopped drinking. And then the other character goes, you must have been drinking a lot. He goes, I guess. And that's it. That's all they <laughs> mentioned in the show. Um, you know, what do you feel about the glow up? You team glow up Chris Pratt? I think, you know, whatever makes you feel good. I think I get a little nervous around the like what can feel like a a like marvel blockbuster uh machine taking like kind of kind of pudgy funny people and like turning them into superheroes <laughs> makes me a little not sad but i'm just sort of like but we need the pudgy ones we need the pudgy ones on tv <laughs> like I, I mean i'm I fine with them being ripped yeah. but i i also, but I also love yeah. i love anna ferris who's the First wife, Emily, referred to. Their son is really cute. Jack, I think his name is. Wow, I'm pulling out names. Wow, yeah. Um, uh, I don't I Catherine Schwarzenegger seems really sweet, too. I mean, we don't know. I don't, I don't think it's ever as simple as he glowed up and got really famous. And then, you know, it seems it probably has something to do with schedules and faith. <laughs> and I don't know. And now, now let's, okay, should we, if you're listening, yeah. we're going to move on to the next question, but should we really be a podcast deep diving into Chris Pratt and his romances? <laughs> uh, well, let's go now. Uh, Emily, I hope we answered your question. We did the, we did the best we could. We tried. <laughs> Let us try. Okay, we're going to go. We've got two Connors. We have Connor Young and then Connor Walker, but we've also had a Connor R call in. So is this a three Connor situation, Will? That might be a dangerous combo. It well, seems should, like, let's, yeah. yeah. Do you, you think, think it is three Connors? Should we play them all at the same time and see if they line up? Well, we only have two Connors out of our usual. Connor R is nowhere to be found unless Connor R is somehow Connor Walker, but that doesn't make sense. Let's start with Connor Young, which is the Connor we know. Hey, Hannah and Will. This is Connor Young calling from Norman, Oklahoma. In the episode, Leslie decides to open the gift basket, even though she knows it's over a $25 gift, all because she's trying to get with Mark Brandanowitz. Have either of you committed such an unethical act in order to win the favor of a romantic partner? I'd love to hear your thoughts. All these questions want to know about our ethics and, and fantasies. This episode really sparked a town hall with a lot of... Um, <laughs> a lot of deep dives, yeah. A lot of deep dives. Like we said... I think Leslie also was fighting government sexism. I I have to believe it wasn't just about Mark. But let's, Will, what do you think? Have you ever done something unethical to impress a crush? Get in with a crush? Yeah, I I once, I I feel like I'm a lot of like sneaking into places. (laughs) I feel like teenage Will was a lot of like, let's climb on a roof. That's that's what you do. I I once had the 
I tried to I tried to go on a night picnic, um, which is just a, a picnic during the nighttime. In college? No, this was in this was in high school. High school, got this it. This was in high school, but I uh, I brought like a little like a little MP3 player before everyone just had iPhones and a little candle and I couldn't find a blanket, but I got like a sleeping bag, which maybe sent a too strong of a message for high school. Well, which I like unzipped and I lit this little candle and it was, it was a little, but we like snuck into this, these like practice fields. Um, and someone called the police on me cause they thought that the, they thought that the field was on fire oh my because gosh. of this one little thing. Um, what if you had actually lit the field on fire? This would be a very exciting story. That would have been the whole field went more unethical, more unethical, and I'll say more romantic. <laughs> Hannah, no, I'm a very ethical person. Shoot. Okay, you got to go first on no, the next question. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I I snuck into a cl- a closed down high school once. Oh yeah, my close my high school, <laughs> not just a one in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Um, but I don't really see that as unethical. No, we I didn't see that like as, break I see the that door. As cool. I see both of these examples maybe as cool. Yeah, we're cool, not unethical. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to Connor Walker, the other Connor. Hello, this is Connor Walker. I hope I have the right number. Um, I am calling about the incident that took place near my house. Uh, involving the doggy droppings that were being used as sports balls by some city employees. Um, I'm just wondering what the criteria are for stool selection. Um, My dog Frankfurter is on a plant-based diet, uh, has a high fiber intake, and we, I mean, she's been trying to break into the industry for a while, so... I went ahead and sent a sample to the office. Uh, just let me know if you're interested in something more fresh or if you want to set up a meeting. Thank you for your time. This is definitely a new Connor. This is a third Connor. That means we have three Connors calling in. If you are named call Connor and you are listening and haven't called in, please call in. Let's see how many yeah. Connors we can get. This this is the show for you. Well. Could you help Connor walk her out with this problem, Will? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it just takes time. I wouldn't put too much pressure on on Frankfurter and on the pup. Um, And I think it's, uh, (laughs) let me, let me get a little run and start on this one. Um. Yeah, I think I I would I would take it easy on the pup first of all. Um it's it's more about the poop and less about the pup and some pups poop just doesn't cut it, I think. Um I'll also say it has a lot to do with bag and a, uh, and a lot to do with, you know, the type of bag that's selected. Um and I like the dog's name was Frankfurter? Yeah. Love it. <laughs> no further comments. Very cute no dog. further comments from me. Yeah, I, I guess my big advice for any dog owners or dogs out there who watch this episode and and wanted to, you know, get in on the action a little bit is to just um, just keep pooping. 
Just keep pooping. Just like just keep swimming. Yeah. But don't swim in poop. Yeah, it's good. It's good not to mix mix your uh <laughs> Connor Walker, I hope we answered your question. Connor Young, thanks for calling in again. Connor R, are you okay? Where are you this week, buddy? <laughs> uh the next thing we're gonna hear from Thing, person we're gonna hear from is Owen from Boston. Hi, Pawnee Public Radio. This is Owen from Boston. On one of the past episodes, YouTube talked about how to register to vote, and I think there may have been some confusion. So I just wanted to pass along that a great place to register to vote, to check your voter registration status, or to request an absentee or a vote-by-mail ballot is to go to vote.org. It's super easy to use, and I hope everyone checks it out. Thank you, YouTube. Uh, thank you both so much. I'm loving the podcast a lot. It's great to hear about Parks and Rec and about Survivor, two of my favorite shows. And in the spirit of Leslie, I hope everyone registers and votes. Thank you. Oh, to vote. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. Um, I think we were we were confused in the pod, but it's not nice to just have have that there's website. Also a, there's also a link uh, to a place you can register to vote in uh, the past episode description. Everyone should vote. Yeah. All righty. Uh, let's get one of our two anonymous callers. Hannah Will, great to hear another podcast. Uh, I just had a question. Is Leslie Nope and all those Pawnee people, Parks and Recreation, are they in charge of baseball parks? Because I don't understand this new rule about a guy starting at second base in extra innings. Can one of you explain that to me? Thank you. Sports oh. podcast. My dad <laughs> keeps making a sports <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, in extra innings, a guy was allowed to start on second to try to speed up the inning. I'm not sure the baseball players want to be playing baseball right now. Yeah. I'm not sure I want the baseball players to have to play baseball right now, but I'm all for new rules. I think a thing that baseball could really use is just more rules. Um, I'm I'm sort of just getting involved, I think, as a fan, but I think more rules would be would be a pretty exciting thing, especially rules that make it, you know, mm. speed, speed things up. I'm not going to lie. This thought was also a tweet at Hannah Lilnesson, but my pitch for baseball pitch i winked I, but I, the, the audience didn't. they is can, that, you can hear a wink though yeah they can hear it These you guys can mics. hear my wink <laughs> um you know they have cardboard cutout fans in the uh in the bleachers mm -hmm. they should have cardboard cutout players and then they just let one umpire out into the field and he just has to walk around confused for a couple hours i think that'd be a fun new way to play baseball they should at least give it a shot is that the size of that bubble that's one guy you know, that's just one guy and a bunch of cardboard cutouts and he can move them around. Really fun. A fun time for all. Dad, thanks for making this a sports podcast. Yeah. All right. So to finish us off here, uh, if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five star review, we have to read it on this podcast. So we're going to read two more of them right now. You ready? You want to start us off, Will? Yeah. The first five star review comes from underscore Stephen Leon underscore. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, uh, Steven says, fine, I'll rewatch Parks and Rec. One of my all-time favorite shows. I guess now is as good a time as any to rewatch. Heart eye emoji, smile, heart. Right back at Love you. Love it. Thank you. Love it. We feel the Another same. The feeling Pfizer. is honestly mutual. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for writing in. 
Uh, now's as good a time as any for me to read mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, five stars from Ron Howard. Oh, I recognize that n- name as Josh Wiggler. Everyone should go listen to Josh Wiggler on post-show recaps. And also, he's the best human. No pressure when you look into him. Uh, but I've risen, raised the bar on your expectations for this human. He wrote the title of this review is literally the only Parks and Rec podcast, dot, dot, dot. And his review says, Hannah Shapiro. It's true. Josh, thanks for writing in. And Josh, let me know if you have any notes for me, anything that I can work on, uh, anything that I can kind of like. I, Josh you know, Wiggler's very funny because... He so I reached out to him for career advice because mm-hmm. he's like a he's a journalist he does cool stuff and I, I emailed him he ha- didn't email back and then right before I was gonna fly out for Survivor we did all these phone calls with journalists and I pick up the phone to do another interview because we we did it in a hotel before we flew out mm-hmm. and Josh goes I'm so sorry I never returned your email oh I I like him yeah he's great <laughs> and I said it's okay it's okay I go listen when I get back from Survivor can we grab a coffee and we did when I got back from Survivor um but that was the funny my funny little Josh Wiggler story that inspires me to respond to all of the emails that I <laughs> that I haven't responded to you never to yet. know when you'll end up on the phone with them <laughs> uh you guys this has been you guys and girls uh this has been so much fun yeah it has truly flown by at first, I thought it was just like a byproduct of quarantine where it was like, oh, TV shows just just hit different now. Um, that was that was a tweet meme that I've been following that I, I wanted to see how it sounded out loud. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it. It's uh, good to try it, though. It's good to try it again. It's good to try new things. Um, but season yeah. one is six episodes. Season two, by comparison, is 24 episodes. Well, so if you're driving and we hope you are, buckle up. Buckle up. But we have two more episodes left. We have season one, episode five, season one, episode six. I don't know why. You, those are already I been like titles. No, no, you, no. you knew. You know that these are coming up. <laughs> we have some special things coming up. Wink, wink. I, you can hear that. As we wrap up season one. And so we're, we're happy to have you uh, hopefully staying tuned. If you want to... Uh, tweet at us. We're at Radio Pawnee. My Twitter handle is at Hannah Lil Nesson. And I'm at Will Sondheim. You can also email us. Not a lot of people emailing us. I'll be honest, Will. I, email, I'm, I'm really yeah. sad that this email is not popping. I think by the time you get off work, you're about to go to work. You want to listen to your podcast. You've been on the emails all day. I get it. You just want to... Oh, wait. There is one email. I was actually... Checking. Oh my gosh. There's technically two emails. Uh, but one Should of them. Should we wait to answer and then we can call them months later? And Yes, I think, you know what? We'll do this as a teaser. For episode five, we oh will gosh. reveal what the one email was. <laughs> um, so stay tuned for that. But you subject can email line? us. Can we get a little subject line teaser? Or does that. Yes. The subject line is episode one thoughts from David Schwartz. Can't wait. Actually, there's two emails. The, the well, second we gotta email. We got to pace ourselves, right? Okay, there's, there was two. <laughs> I keep lying. I'm like, no one's emailed us. That one email. But the second email says no subject. Ooh. So I think that just means there's no subject. 
Uh, so stay tuned for those emails. But you can email us. You can add to our email account at townhall at pawneepublicradio.com. Uh, but yeah, we love, obviously, the majority of this podcast has been responding to voicemails, which we absolutely love. Just having you really weaving the town halls into the conversations. Uh, if you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, but if you got through it, what should the hashtag of the episode be? Mm. Um, what do you think? Hashtag. Hashtag finding our fourth Connor. That's too long. <laughs> hashtag. Oh, wait, I've got it. Hashtag Connor club. Whoa. Yeah. Hashtag Connor club. If you made it through this whole episode. We're we're so excited to end season one of our podcast and this season of Parks and Rec with a bang and then get right into season two. So thank you for tuning in. We've we've had goofs and we've had also had long, serious conversations. Thank you at Tara Teeth. I love how it's the Tara, Tara Teeth never thought that her question would. No, from from Boys Club episode to hashtag Connor Club. We've it's the full spectrum. <laughs> Yeah. We'll hopefully see you next week. Yeah. See you soon. Good night and good luck. No, that's stealing us. No, nope, <laughs> We're taking it. I just came up with good night and good luck. Bye. <laughs>